Caleb because Caleb gives away a precious commodity not because he doesn't need it but because he can and the reason he can is because he realizes the water is not his source it's the God who has given him the land of the water and for so many of us we live with anxiety over material things simply because we're not generous in any way because we're trusting the stuff and not the God of the stuff Are you trusting the stuff or the God of the stuff? Caleb gave away a commodity that wasn't only valuable, it was vital. When God prompts you to give, do you first figure out how much you can afford or do you first ask the Lord how much? In today's message, Pastor Daniel is going to bring us to the life of Caleb. Caleb was a man of faith who didn't hesitate to give away what God gave him. As you listen, let God build your faith today. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Judges chapter 1 as he continues his message. The conquest continues. Water is a necessary commodity for basic survival. And you can imagine Caleb being like, man, I got to hold on to my water. Like, I got all this land, I got all this stuff, but he gives his daughter not just the upper springs, he gives them both. Why? Because Caleb's a man who trusts the Lord. Here's what I'll tell you. Your generosity is tied to if you really believe in God or not. That's where it boils down to. When someone says, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not generous. No, you don't. Because if you did, you'd be generous because God's so generous, he gave his own son. You know, and what's amazing is, and many of us have experienced this, there is more anxiety over material things in cultures of affluence than in places where there's poverty. I'll never forget, I did missionary work in Peru, and we were going around, we were serving in Lima, and Lima's a huge city and quite cosmopolitan, you know, but as we were coming to the city, we noticed all these, what we would call shanty towns all around the city. And as we were going, I'm like, man, we need to make sure we go out there. So we bought, you know, hundreds of pounds of rice and beans. And we were making these little goodie bags. And we just chose one. And we went in out two by two and went door to door. And I'll never forget it. It's like, you know, I saw some of the most horrendous quality of life issues that I'd ever seen in my life. And I traveled a bunch and I saw stuff and it was really heartbreaking. And I remember we went to this one place and and it was a much older woman. She probably was in her 70s or her 80s and she lived alone. And right as we gave her the rice and the beans and we were talking to an interpreter, we were explaining her what we were doing and we wanted to pray for her. Is there anything we can help her with? She's like, do you have extra bags? She asked. And we're like, oh yeah. She's like, can I have extra plastic bags? And she started to divide out hers into three other bags. And we're like, well, what are you doing? She's like, well, I have family members who live about three miles away and I want to separate, I want to give this to them because they need it as much as I do. Now, this is a woman who, living by herself, she could have lived on what we've given her for probably a week. But right away, she's like, I have family members who need it more than I do. Now, that's in the midst of extreme poverty. 
But of course, here we all have cell phones and a thousand channels on our TVs and flat screen TVs and closets full of clothes and shoes. Even you guys have it too, you know? And it's like you have all this stuff, but yet generosity isn't really quite an American way of life. Now I'm here to tell you, even if our culture isn't generous, our God is generous. And if we're Christians, then we're like our God is. He, he's transforming us. Now, listen, whatever your excuses that just popped up in your head are, that's all they are. They're excuses. And you just have to own them. Like, look, okay, so this is, how, this is what happened for me. When I first started walking with Jesus and I was watching in the Bible and God was working on my heart, I would finally just say, God, I'm just going to be honest. I'm just not a generous person. I'm selfish and I'm self-centered and I'm super sorry. And you know what? Confessing that stuff was really healthy for me. Because when you confess that stuff to God, he knows it already. And then he begins to prompt you to take steps of faith. So here's the thing. If you're hearing this right now and and you are selfish, and even though you've been blessed, and listen, statistically, if you make more than about $20,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the globe today. You could look it up. You're in the top almost probably 1.5% of wage earners in the world. So you are wealthy by global standards maybe not by American standards. And if that's the case, you have been so gifted, so blessed. And I love Caleb because Caleb gives away a precious commodity, not because he doesn't need it, but because he can. And the reason he can is because he realizes the water is not his source. It's the God who has given him the land of the water. And for so many of us, we live with anxiety over material things simply because we're not generous in any way. Because we're trusting the stuff and not the God of the stuff. And the only way that we can get over that is to begin to trust God and live how he invites us to live. And then you begin to realize when I step out and I'm generous, God takes care of things in the most amazing ways. And many, many, many of us can share those type of testimonies where you tell stories where God invited you and self-sacrificial giving and things came up and how God provided. And really, even if you're not generous, you're still here today. So God has provided at least enough to get you this far. So continuing on, look at what happens. Verse 16, it says, now the children of the Kenite, Moses's father-in-law went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and they dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of that city was called Hormah. And Judah took Gaza and its territory, Ashkelon and its territory, and Ekron and its territory. And so the Lord was with Judah. And they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said, that he expelled from there the three sons of Anak, and the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel, 
the name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw the man coming out of the city, they said to him, please show us the entrance to the city that we may show you mercy. And he showed them the entrance to the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword and they let the man and all of his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city and called its name Luz, which was its name to this day. So really what you have is, you know, for the children of Judah, you have kind of success and failures. So Zephath was utterly destroyed. They changed the name of the city and they called it Horma. You find, of course, that Moses' father-in-law's descendants are now with the children of Israel. Always an important thing to remember that Moses didn't marry a daughter of the children of Israel. Now, again, once again, you could make the case, well, why would God use a man who didn't do something as simple as what was commanded? But that's grace. That's how grace works. All through the Bible, God uses unlikely people. So you have Judah taking care of things, being successful in some things. Obviously, they took the city of Gaza and Ashkelon and Ekron, you know, and these were Philistine cities. They were along the coast and the coastal regions. And then, of course, it says that they went and the Lord was with them. They drove out the mountaineers, but notice they couldn't conquer the people who were in the lowlands because they had chariots of iron. So what you find is that they were doing fine in the mountains, but when they landed into the lowlands, there was armaments there, these chariots, horse-drawn chariots, which at that point would have been pretty advanced warfare. And it caused them to be delayed in being able to conquer the land. And it's a great reminder because you would think the Lord was with them. Everything's going to get done right now. And sometimes certain things take a lot longer than we wanted to. Isn't it true? Like there's certain areas of your life where God's doing a work and certain things get fixed right away and other things just take a while. That you have victories and defeats. Now ultimately in Christ, you're victorious. But what I want to encourage you, if you're one of those people, and I think all of us are in different ways, where there's areas of our life where you're like, I don't really, I'm not quite walking in the victory that I need to right there. I'm taking my lumps. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. This is what I want to encourage you. Just keep going. Just keep going. If you got knocked down, just get back up again. If you're not finding victory in that area, all of us not lost. You're just still in the middle rounds. Ultimately, God will take care of it. But some things just take time. Some things don't always go the way that you want them to go. Now, we also find that they gave Hebron to Caleb. And again, we found out that they expelled the three sons of Anak. And then we find in verse 21, speaking of Jerusalem again, where it says that the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Now, I thought you said, well, I thought they conquered Jerusalem and they burned the city. Obviously, they didn't burn all of it. And Jerusalem was technically in the land of Benjamin, if you were to look at it on a map. Now, ultimately, when after the time of Solomon, the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes split into Israel in the north and what was called Judah in the south. So ultimately, Judah and Benjamin were the two southern tribes, but Judah was so much bigger than Benjamin that ultimately Benjamin just kind of gets incorporated into it later. So, But it was technically in the land of Benjamin. But what you find is that these things are happening, of course, in process. It's not happening all in one day. And when it says it burned the city... Obviously, it didn't build, burn all of it. Now, I know some would be like, well, why would it do it that way? I don't know. 
You know, it's like, why do you have it in this verse here? And then there's some things and it gives it to you again. But that's just the way it was written for us. Now, by the time we get to verse 22, it says, and the house of Joseph, the family of Joseph. Now, remember, now we're moving from Judah to the family of Joseph, which would be the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Right. And it says they went up against Bethel. And the Lord was with them. Now, obviously, you can read about Bethel all the way through the book of Genesis. Remember, God met with Jacob there. Jacob called it Bethel, which literally means the house of God, right? And God had given him that a revelation of who he was right there at Bethel. And it says that the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel and the city was formerly called Luz. And so what we find here is that what the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh do is they follow the same strategy that happened with Jericho. They sent in some spies. They found a person who would help them. And in exchange for the information and the help, they would be shown mercy. And so this man a lot like Rahab in the beginning of the book of Joshua, of Jericho, they found somebody, a person of peace, who says, here's the entrance, and him and his family go, and it finds out that he goes into another land, and he starts the city of Luz again in a different place. But it was really because of the mercy that was shown by God. Now, I think what's beautiful about this is our God is a merciful God. It's part of the attributes of his perfection. He's also a God of justice. So I know that we live in a day and age where oftentimes we can't think about God being a God of war and a God of peace, a God who brokers in violence and a God who also relishes mercy. But I think we have this idea. We want to make God so simplistic. But God is God and God often is paradoxical. I mean, think about it. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Can you get more paradoxical than that? Right? It's like he's the son of God and yet he's still fully God. How does that work? See, and people get confused about these things. So really what we find is that God can invite the children of Israel to completely destroy a city and God could also be completely merciful at the same time. Now, I know that when I say that, that doesn't necessarily make it easy. But I think we need to learn how to think deeply about things that are not simple. And I think the Bible, oftentimes, the biggest issue that people who trust the Bible have is we want to deduce it down to being simple when certain things just aren't simple. I mean, there's a time, and I think for all of us, we crave certainty. And so because we crave certainty, we want to make everything fit, you know? And then what happens is when everything fits, what I've found is that every time I think something fits, it's like God's like uh, my daughter, Annabelle. Like, right as I get everything clean, Annabelle comes through and messes everything up. Right as I have God in my favorite little theological box, God comes in his all-knowing, all-wise ways, and he messes up the theological box for me. You know, and I say that not because we don't know anything, but because God is infinite, we have to be okay with sometimes things don't make sense. But just because they don't make sense to me doesn't mean that it's not true and that God isn't perfect and holy and right. Does that make sense? And anytime, you can always tell when somebody is craving certainty because they're willing to elevate certain scriptures above certain other scriptures, right? They're always like, well, this means this because it needs to mean this. But this thing over here, well, wait, no, it doesn't really mean that. It really, and so you, one thing you take very stringently and another thing you kind of like, well, I'm not really sure about that because we're craving certainty. 
And I think all of us as humans, we want to know that we know. And what I will tell you is that what I know is that I won't know everything. The Bible tells me a lot of things as plain as day, and I trust them. And the things that when I look at the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, I pull them all together and certain things are like, hey, I'm not really sure how these things fit together. Rather than elevating one and dismissing another in the name of certainty, we learn how to hold it in tension. I talk to our staff about this all the time, that one of the most important things we can do as a church is not try and resolve the tension, but we have to learn how to manage it. We have to learn how to embrace the fact that it could be this or this, or it could be both. And I don't know how it's both at the same time, but God knows. And to be okay to worship without every single I being dotted and T being crossed in all the ways that you feel comfortable. Because I think for all of us, if you look back on your journey with Jesus, there are times when you are way more certain about something than you are right now. Because as you grow in the scriptures, you're like, oh, ooh, I didn't quite realize that. I wasn't quite understanding that. And it's an important thing because I mean, we see the children of Israel brokering in God's ordained destruction, but yet we see a lot of mercy happening. Now, what's interesting from there, as we take verse 27 to the end of the chapter, really what we're going to find is that there's a lot of things that end up getting left undone. Look at what happens. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages or Tanakh and its villages or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages or the inhabitants of Ibleim and its villages or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. And the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong, they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Verse 29, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwell in Gezer. And the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal. So the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Nor did Asher drive out all the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Alab or Akzib or Helba or Afik or Rehob. Why are you guys giggling? You hear my Jersey accent coming out when I'm trying to pronounce these things. Isn't it funny? As the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Verse 33, nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemath or the inhabitants of Beth and Noth, but they dwelt among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemath and Beth and Noth were put under tribute to them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Harris, in Ahalon, and in Shalbim. Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of Akrabim, from Selah and upward. Now, you notice that for a number of these tribes, there's things that are just not finished. The tribe of Manasseh, you know, the tribe of Ephraim, Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali. And you ultimately find that the Amorites actually block the tribe of Dan from being in the land. Now, when you hear this, what you realize is that for each one of these tribes, there's work to do. Right? Things are not accomplished. There are things that, what I would say, are in process. And when I read things like that, 
by way of application, I automatically ask the question to myself, for me, what is left undone? What areas of my life, what areas of my walk with Jesus have I not completed what needs to be completed? For all of these tribes, God wanted them to drive all of the inhabitants of the land out. Why? Because God wanted the land to be set apart for him. He did not want the children of Israel to be under any unholy influence that would distract them from him. And in each one of these situations, they couldn't drive them out, but they would put them under tribute so that they would become servants of theirs. Other times they weren't even allowed in the land. So it's real easy when you read that, be like, oh, that's a bummer for them. But then I always say, Lord, will you let your spirit search me and see what have I left undone? And what's amazing is for most of us, we can look at someone else and say, oh, so-and-so's got this undone and this undone and they better fix this. But it's a lot easier to be the judge and jury of someone else than it is to say, Lord, I am naked and open before you. What areas of my life have I not allowed the finished work of Jesus to be completed in experience in my heart? And brothers and sisters, listen, every single day of your life in Jesus, you're going to grow. And the question is, is are you growing closer and more like Jesus, or are you growing away from him and less like him? That's what I've learned. I know people, they, you can always tell someone who's walked with Jesus for a long time and grown closer to him because they become more and more humble. They're less and less judgmental. They're less and less inclined to see things in other people. And they're more and more inclined to realize how amazing God's grace is. They're more and more inclined to cherish the finished work of Jesus because as they walk with Jesus, they see their failings more and more. And so the question for each one of us is, what areas do you have that are undone right now? Where you know in your heart of hearts that we're there, but we're not really there. It's not all in the places it needs to be. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's in taking the steps of faith that God has asked you to. Maybe it's in being faithful with what he's placed in front of you. Right? Maybe there's certain habits in your life. Maybe not destructive habits, but not God's best. That you know that God is saying, I want you to retire that. I want you to put that in the rearview mirror and never go back. But you know that it's not quite in the rearview mirror. Maybe for some of us, God has said, it's time for you to step back in to the calling that he has on your life. And for all the real reasons, life reasons, you become distracted from it or detached from it. Maybe you got hurt along the way or maybe things didn't go the way you thought they should go, right? But whatever the reasons are, God will meet us on the step that we're on. But the thing is, is God's not gonna make you take that step. He simply invites you and he waits. God was generous enough to give his own son for you and for me. In today's message, Pastor Daniel showed us the true source of generosity through the life of Caleb. When his daughter came asking for water, he gave her both the upper and lower springs. 
Caleb was able to do this because he knew his true source was God, not anything he could ever possess. Will you trust God enough to be truly generous? Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will ask an important question. What do you do when the wheels fall off, when things are just not going the way that you want them to go and you have a choice to make? You can look for someone to blame or you can look up to God and then look inside yourself. Instead of placing blame next time life falls apart, look to God and let him look inside your heart. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Arise. Until then, may God bless.